Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to Micah chapter 5? <clears throat> Micah chapter 5. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you sort of just open the middle of your Bible, you're usually in Isaiah or Jeremiah. Go to the right a couple books. Page 779 in my Bible. I like to do that just to give you a reference, but David always tells me afterward, don't say that. <laughs> Micah chapter 5. Micah is a prophet. He is speaking to the people in Judah, and they are going away into exile for disobedience. And in particular, the context of the book is that the prophets of the day who have risen up, in fact, even the priests and the elected leaders or the appointed leaders or um, the, you know, there's a kingship system, so the king and all the other people are leading all of the people astray. And they are melding the, the pure Israelite faith in Yahweh and God and how he's revealed himself and following the law and standing in the midst of what God's called them to. They are mixing that with other religions that they've found in the area where they're living in Canaan. And so they've taken those pagan religions and they've started to worship some of the idols of that area, especially there's a fertility goddess and making up this Asherah poles that you read about all through the Old Testament and finding these high places that they thought were holy places in the pagan religions. There's only one really holy place in Israel. Where is it? There's a couple around, little altars and stuff, but there's one place you go to meet with God. It's the temple. That's where you go. And when you come to the temple, you bring your offering, and there's uh, an offering for sin. God is not casual. He's not a casual God. Um, this is one of the reasons that we dress up, usually for church. It's not just tradition. It's not just um, because we um, want to show off. We don't want to show off, but we dress up because we understand that, that church is not just casual. Now, if somebody comes in in a dirty shirt or whatever, we're not going to kick them out. We're also welcoming at the same time. But for those of us who know God are walking with him for more than a day, we start to understand that God really cares about what we do and how we live. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to live set apart. And what's happening now in Judah is that the people are mixing the pure worship of God with all these other religions. And they're starting to bow down to idols and carving things that they can worship. And they're uh, mixing the ways in which they come to God with these other things. The Lord is not happy with it. It's like wearing your filthiest shirt to church just because. You know, you know that there's a standard. You know that you're coming to see God. You know that you're with his people. You know that it's different than when you're just worshiping alone because you're with all of the people of God together. It's, it's a special time where we're fellowshipping, and yet out of sort of disrespect to him, you are wearing your filthiest things. That's what the Israelites are doing. And more than that, what's happening are the prophets are speaking to the people, and instead of reminding them of the covenant, reminding them what God said, reminding them of the law, reminding them of that high standard, they're saying, peace, peace to you. Because what happens is that people, when they feel blessed, tend to bless the prophet more. And so they're lining their own pockets with the great message. And likewise, the ruling officials are leading the people astray. The priests are even leading people astray. And then here comes this guy, Micah. And the Lord says, stand up, Micah. And tell them what I say. And it's a word of judgment. And it's a difficult word. But it's a word not without hope. We're going to read in Micah chapter 5 about what the Lord says. Let's read together. It's a famous Christmas passage starting at verse 2. Micah 5 verse 2. It says this. But you, O Bethlehem, 
Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great, and the ends of the earth, and to the ends of the earth he shall be their peace. What a great word. Now this word is coming in the midst of a word of judgment, of a word of realizing that the people have gone astray, have been led astray, that there is judgment coming up on the rulers, upon the priests, upon the prophets, and yet God is being faithful to these ancient things. It's a beautiful passage. We hear it a lot at this time of year, of course. But what is really happening here? So we know the story from uh, the Peanuts gang and from others uh, that Jesus, of course, is going to be born in Bethlehem. This is going to be the town of David. It's special to all the people reading it because though they don't know the end of the story, they know what's happened up to this point. And so they know that the great King David, who helped secure the nation, has come from Bethlehem. And it's talking about how it's too little, this funny tribe, to be named among the tribes of Judah. This is because Ephraim was a half-tribe that was put within all the tribes of Israel. And so from our history, we understand that these tribes of Israel, how many are there? Twelve. Twelve. Pop quiz time, right? The twelve tribes of Israel are the twelve sons of Jacob. And so Jacob, who's also named Israel, his children become uh, this mighty nation of Israel, the Israelites, and God rescues them from slavery. And so if we go back in time in a brief, brief history, just to remember all the things that have led, led up to this point, God, of course, created the world. He showed us that he hates sin through Noah. And then he calls out of Noah's family after he sort of recreates the earth through the flood. He calls this one particular guy named Abram. And Abram receives the promise of God, he receives the covenant of God. He says, Abraham, changes his name to Abraham eventually. He says, Abraham, you are going to have descendants like the stars in the sky. Out of you will come a great nation. You're going to come back to this land. I'm going to give you a great name. But there's a big problem. Abraham's 100 years old and has no children. And so God miraculously gives him a baby named Isaac. Isaac grows, he marries, and, and they're waiting for this great nation to come out of the people. And Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's, or Esau's older, Jacob's a little bit of a deceiver, he's kind of conniving, and so he even goes to the lengths of putting uh, goat's hair and sheep's hair on his arm so he feels woolly, so he feels like his brother's arm, and has his mom help him to make this special meal, and so he goes in to get this blessing from his dad, whose vision is gone, he's about to die. And so in this time, there's this blessing that's passing of this covenant promise from his dad Abraham that's coming now through Jacob. And so Jacob the deceiver has stolen his older brother's birthright. And he's afraid because Esau is kind of a big dude. So he goes running away and he runs to uh, his uncle's house, his uncle Laban, and there's a girl there and she's beautiful. She's really special. Her name's Rachel. And he says, this girl Rachel, she is so special. I will give myself for seven years to hard labor under my uncle's household if, if he'll give me her as a bride. That's pretty, that's pretty special, right? How many young men do you know these days that'll wait seven years of hard labor to earn a wife? It's kind of a past thing, isn't it? So he goes out and starts working for his uncle. 
Now, Rachel, she's beautiful. She's special. Her name, in fact, means my little lamb. Oh, Rachel, she's the little lamb. Rachel, I think, was the cheerleader. She was probably the captain of the cheerleader team. She was the quintessential 1950s America, you know, beautiful Barbie-looking cheerleader person. That's Rachel. Rachel, however, has an older sister, and her older sister's name is Leah. And Leah, not so much. Leah's name means cow, <laughs> literally. That's what her name means. So you, imagine now, too, you're, you're Laban, you're the uncle, right? You have two beautiful daughters. The oldest one comes out, and the first word out of your mouth is, she's a, a Leah. She's a cow. That's the first word. That's what he named this child. That's pretty rough. She's not the cheerleader. Then he has another daughter a couple years later, and she's so beautiful that he goes, oh, my little lamb. Who do you think got all the attention? Rachel gets all the attention. So Laban's a pretty shrewd guy. And Laban has this guy, Jacob, who's working for him and working hard seven years for the little lamb girl. Seven years for the cheerleader. He's going to give his life. He's going to give his effort. He's going to help try to make his uncle rich just to marry this girl for seven years. And so Laban looks at this situation. He goes, you know, everybody likes Rachel. But Leah, her prospects are not great. And so we're going to do something about it. And so in the same kind of spirit like Jacob did, where he tricked his dad into the birthright, on the wedding night, Laban does a little switcheroo. And he takes the beautiful wedding dress and the special veil, and instead of having Rachel get dressed, he goes to Leah and he says, Leah, this is your moment. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what he says. But I imagine, I imagine he probably lied to her. I don't know that for sure. But this guy's worked seven years for the sister. And he probably said, you know what? I talked to him, and turns out he wants to do things right because he's an honorable man. You're the oldest sister. He's going to marry you. He wants you. Just wear this paper bag over your head. <laughs> it's basically what happens. Or he says, honey, you're never going to get married. You're the ugliest one. So we're going to have to trick this dude. Put this bag over your head. Something, one of the, something around that happened. And the Bible doesn't tell us clearly. But something like that happened. Because Jacob marries the girl. They go away. It's dark. It's not like cities with all our electric lights. They finish their wedding night. In the morning, he wakes up. It's not Rachel next to him. It's the cow. He's pretty upset. So he goes to his uncle. He says, what did you do to me? And the uncle pretty much shuts him up right away by saying, didn't you do that to your dad? He says, well, what do I have to do for Rachel? He says, you work another seven years. Seems like a fair trade. He goes, okay, but give her to me now. So he marries both Rachel and Leah. Turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 30. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 30. Why are we talking about all this? We're talking about this because these tribes... And this place, Bethlehem, the tribe of Ephraim, the tribes that we're talking about, are the sons of Jacob. And so it matters to know the history of where they came from, to understand why this prophecy is so great for us. Genesis chapter 29, actually, sorry. Genesis 29. We're going to pick up the story in verse 31. 
and Rachel is married to Jacob, and Leah is married to Jacob. Who do you think he liked better? Let's read Genesis 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Isn't that awful? When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived, and she bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Don't you feel bad for her? It's terrible. Verse 33. She conceived again, and she bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived, and she bore a son, and she said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name is called Levi. And she conceived again, and she bore a son, and she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. Now time goes on. These are just some of the sons. There's 12 sons that get born eventually. And uh, Jacob ends up marrying several different women. He marries. This is a different time, of course. So he marries not only Rachel and Leah, Rachel and Leah, but they also have uh, maidservants that they give to Jacob to become his wives, which was a common practice in the sense that for women of standing, the maidservants' children would bear the name of the, of the family line and, and their, uh, the woman who, in whose employ they are. So Rachel giving her, her servant, whose name is Bilna, over to Jacob to have children. When those children are born, they're, they're considered Rachel's children. Uh, so it's a different time, of course, but the point is that they have a bunch of other kids. But Rachel, she doesn't really have any children herself. And then God remembers her, and she has a son, and his name is Joseph. And he's a special boy. And Jacob, who loves Rachel the best, she's the little lamb of all his now four wives, she's the one. She's the special one. She's everything to him. He worked 14 years for her. She was the one, the object of his affection, his attention. She's the one. Everybody else is sort of just ancillary. And here's poor Leah, who's having children and hoping that they're going to earn her a place with her husband and earn her husband's affection and his love. And it really doesn't. And finally, she has this other baby that she names Judah, and do you see this heart change in her? Everything's about her standing, her place for her, with her husband. And suddenly she has a baby named Judah, and she says, now I'll praise the Lord. Something happens in her. It's different. The problem is those boys are all growing up together. It's a lot of boys. There's girls, too, that get born. But there's a lot of boys growing up together. And Jacob, who do you think he loves the best? He loves Rachel's boy, Joseph. In this time period... If you wanted to show succession, if you wanted to show uh, inheritance for somebody, you don't just draft up a will. You clothe them specially. And so Joseph, you all know the story, gets the coat of many colors. He didn't just get a nice-looking jacket. It was his dad saying, the inheritance of my name, my family, my blessing, the blessing that I deceived my brother and my father to get, the covenant line, it's going to be given to Joseph. All of my riches, I want Joseph to have it because I love Rachel best. He's my boy. All you other boys, he's my boy. And on top of that, God is going to use Joseph. 
And so God does speak to Joseph, and Joseph has a dream about all these, these things bowing down to him, and he's going to rule over things. And so he comes out in his, in his arrogance and his naivete, and he says to his brothers, brothers, one day I'll rule over you. I had a dream about it. And they look at that coat, and they look at their mother, who's been hated for all those years, and that's why they throw him in the pit. That's why they take his coat and soak it in blood. That's why they sell him into slavery. That's why they got to get rid of Joseph. It's not just because they don't like him. It's not just because they don't like his dream. It's because this jerk is going to get everything. And so they got, they got to get rid of him. So they take that coat of many colors soaked in a lamb's blood to their father, and they deceive him, the deceiver. And they say, Dad, he, he got eaten in the wilderness. We tried to stop it. In reality, the silver in their pocket from having sold him into slavery is still jingling. Joseph goes away, and God has a destiny for this young man and uses him despite slavery, despite prison, despite all these things, that he would rise to power in a foreign land called Egypt because God is bringing a famine on the land. And the Lord who's overseeing all these things has installed a ruler named Joseph who gets elevated from slavery to the number two guy in charge of the known world. And it's by his wisdom and his insight that God saves the known world from hunger and starvation. How incredible. Surely, surely God is going to give the blessing to this man. Surely this guy who God has elevated, surely this one who has the forethought, knowing the promise of his forefathers, knowing that God had given to his great-great-grandpa this promise of this land and this great name and this nation, he's even told his descendants, after I die, take my bones from this place, because he was buried basically as a king. He ruled Egypt under the Pharaoh. He was buried with honors. Take my bones from that honored resting place. It means nothing to me. And instead, carry me into the promised land so that when you rest there in God's provision and his covenant blessing, when he sees all these things through, I want to rest there with you. I know he will accomplish it. Surely it's this man with that faith, with that insight, with that knowledge, with that favor. Surely he's the one with all the promise. But God does something unlikely. God takes Leah, the hated one, God takes the cow, and when he changes her heart, and she has this baby named Judah, she says, now I'll praise the Lord, and the Lord says, that's the line of promise. And instead of giving over the promise and the inheritance to Joseph, who you think this is the one, surely this is the one, instead God puts the line and the promise into Judah. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ who reigns, he doesn't come from Joseph's line. He comes from Judah's. And he comes from a heritage of this mom who was hated but chosen by God. Telling this boy, when you were born, I saw something different. My heart was touched. When you were born, son, I said, now I'll praise the Lord. I want you, that's your heritage. That's who you are. That's your inheritance. It's not maybe all the things that your dad has. It's maybe not all of the great name that you think is going to happen. That ends up going to Joseph. But the heritage is a heritage of faith. It's a heritage of knowing the call and the life and the love and the covenant promise of the creator of life. It's knowing the one 
who has created everything and walking in his way and praising him. It's a different heritage. And so now here's Micah the prophet, and he's speaking to this town in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is in Ephraim's territory. Ephraim is one of Joseph's sons. So God does remember Joseph, but he doesn't give him the Christ. He doesn't make it go through his line. Instead, he says, in your territory, I'll let the Christ be born. In your territory, in your descendants, they're going to be the ones in this great plan of the kingdom who will build a city called Bethlehem, and it's there that I will have a stable and a feed trough, and I will place the greatest gift of all the world, my own son Jesus, into that place. You will receive it with open arms, but it will come through Judah's line. What a great God. What a dramatic God we serve. Isn't he dramatic? Bethlehem is not forgotten. You know, it's nothing. It's a nothing town. Other than the fact that David is born there eventually, who becomes the king, it's not a special place. And God shows us over and over and over again that he chooses the unlikely. He shows us over and over and over again that his plan goes through people who he calls by faith, a people that he has changed their heart, a people that he has shown himself to, a people who he has changed from striving to have the accolades of man and the love of man, and instead saying, now I'll praise the Lord. God has shown us time and time again, he chooses sometimes the unchoosable, sometimes the cows, sometimes those little places, sometimes those hidden away ones, and they're not gems, Sometimes they're stables, and God chooses them, and God uses them for great things. You see, when his son Jesus comes, he changes everything. He changes everything through his perfect life, because unlike the deceiver Jacob, unlike all of those people who have failed before him, Jesus lives perfectly. He perfectly fulfills all of the commandments of God. He perfectly fulfills all the things that the prophets have said. He is the law embodied. He has done all of it. He's perfect in every way. And in his perfection, instead, he walks down a traitor's path to take our sin and our imperfection upon himself. Jesus Christ dies taking the punishment for things he never did, but we did do, because his love is unlikely. We think that God is going to raise up this military champion or somebody who's going to be beautiful in every way. We we're looking for the Joseph who comes out of these crazy underdog situations to be the most revered man in the world. And instead, Jesus walks and hangs on a tree and dies for us. And the incredible love of God is demonstrated in that the God-man Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin and the object of God's wrath on sin on our behalf. The gospel that we have is that Jesus Christ chose the unlikely He chose the cows. He chose the little places. He chose all of us while we were yet his enemies. That he would change our hearts. That we would be able to say with open eyes and open ears and open mouths, now I will praise the Lord. And it's not because of things that we've done. It's not because we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and made it to the top like Joseph. It's not because we believed hard enough. It's because he himself rescued us and reached down into that muck and took us out. He himself saved us. The great news here is that we have a great king, a great king who has delivered us. He is the shepherd of the whole earth, and he is bringing peace through his life, through his death and his resurrection to all of us and to the whole world. 
Maybe today you're feeling like you're, you are forgotten. Maybe today you're feeling isolated or afraid or away. Maybe you feel like it's been a long time since you've heard God's voice or you've had any accolades of man. Maybe you're wondering if you're making any kind of legacy in the world. You're wondering if anybody's going to remember or if it's going to matter or if what? What's, it, what's the point? 2020 has been such a weird year, hasn't it? You know, it's destroyed businesses. It's destroyed legacies. It's destroyed health. It's destroyed families. And it starts to feel vain and ridiculous. It starts to feel like there is no plan and nothing's happening. But I'm telling you from the word of God, the Lord sent his son Jesus. He has a plan. He's bringing peace. He has already brought peace through his cross. He is moving things forward. You are not forgotten. You might feel like the cow, but God has chosen you to be his little lamb. He took all of that attention and put it on you and suffered the cross for you. Jacob may have worked 14 years, but Jesus Christ suffered the cross that he might bring you to himself and make you his bride. If you believe in Jesus today, don't let yourself be discounted by the circumstances of this world. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of looking around you and saying, I have no hope, but instead have hope in Jesus because he lives, he breathes, he is seated on the throne, and he has brought you into himself. What do you need to do? What you need to do is, in your heart, stop trying to please anybody and instead say, now I praise the Lord. Adhere to his way. Micah is crying out because all the prophets told everybody, God says, peace, 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 peace. But the problem was God was not saying that. God was saying, repent of your ways. Come back to the temple. Live a holy life. Bring your sacrifices. Ask for forgiveness of sins that I might have mercy on you. Come back to me is what God said. And so now because of what's happened in Bethlehem, because of God fulfilling all his promises, we don't just hear a word of peace, peace, peace. We only have peace through Jesus. And unless you come to him through his cross, unless you come to him and say, Lord, I know that you lived perfect and you died on my behalf and you rose again, and I trust you more than I trust me. Unless you stand on that level of faith, trusting him, you will not know peace. But if you come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me clean. I come into you. You are the true temple, Lord. You are my peace. Your life is my life. Lord, forgive me and dwell me. Make me yours in every way. Lord, I want to know you. Father, forgive me of my sin. Lord, specifically, let me tell you what it is. Lord, I submit to you. I want to live your way. Change my heart. Lord, make me to be able to say, Lord, I praise you now. When you come to him like that, he changes everything. And then you can rest on him saying, the Lord is my peace. And now I praise the Lord. We're going to sing a, a fun song now if the band will come up. And know the joy of the Lord. Stand up with me for a minute while I pray a blessing on you. The Lord Jesus, risen, ruling, alive. He's our peace. He's our joy. He's our strength. He's our life. He's our salvation. He's all of it, isn't he? Pray with me and know the peace of God. Let's pray. Father, Forgive me in my sin. Help me, Lord, in all my shortcomings and things that I've done that have been against you, God. Help me to serve you well. Help me, God, to honor you in every way. And, Lord, give me, give me yourself that I might see you closely. Lord, I want to draw near to you, Father, and according to your word, you will draw near to me. Lord, I feel 
that this year has been so crazy and I need you, God. Lord, I submit my life to you. Lord, I bear my heart before you. You see every nook and cranny. You see every secret. And Lord, yet you have called me to be yours. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your peace and I want to know your love and I want your joy to fill my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you can know that the Lord Jesus has heard you, he is changing your heart, and he is filling you with his peace. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.